0: Well, good morning i'm really really glad you're here uh it's, we don't always have videos on sunday so uh it's uh hope you enjoyed that you're going to be hearing more and more about uh, this become initiative if you're a new uh, guest with us or just started coming and attending i'm really excited you're here hope you feel welcome and I really am excited that you're attending when we are launching into this uh, Become initiative because you're going to hear more and more of the next couple of weeks what we're really all about as a church. And uh, as you can tell from the video that was just showed, uh, this uh, is going to entail a new sermon series that we're titling Become, uh, tied to this vision initiative. And our prayer really is that, that God who's begun a good work in us will continue to allow us to become a church it is living more fully for his glory and the good of this city. Uh, if you didn't know, we're about a five-and-a-half-year-old church and, and this time God has been really gracious to exceed what we could ever have asked or imagined and prayed would happen. Uh, and so we're really thankful for what God has done here uh, in Christ Central. Uh, Durham and the Triangle are really, they're growing and they're changing at a fast pace. As I said in the video, uh, I want you to listen to some of the awards uh, that Durham has received over the past couple years. Bon Appetit selected Durham as America's foodiest city for small towns. The Daily Beast listed Durham as the most tolerant city in America. Black Enterprise and Money Magazine ranked Durham as the number one place to retire. Forbes Magazine ranked Durham the third best city to ride out a recession. Uh, within the triangle in the city of Durham, there are stellar academic institutions, North Carolina Central Uh, Duke University, UNC Chapel Hill. Downtown Durham is a place where you find your cool, restaurants and art and music and businesses and condos and apartments, hotels popping up. But juxtaposed with the cool in Durham, there is still great poverty and discrimination. Uh, Urban futurist, Richard Florida ranked Durham fifth in the nation in regards to wage inequality. One fourth of children in Durham live in poverty. Reverend Carl Kinney said Durham has a double nature. Imagine being at the Durham baseball game, uh, 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 the field or at a game, and you're sitting behind a home plate. You look over the left field wall, and you see one of the best performing arts center in the country. And if you look over the right field wall, you see a very large courthouse and jail. You can be listening to live jazz, drinking good coffee at BU on Main Street and see homeless men and women walking by every day. You can drive around and see a million dollar home and the next block see a home that's boarded up. That's what Carl Kenny means by double nature. Cool, hip, up and coming and marginalized, left out, pushed out. I think the jury is still out on what the city of Durham will become over the next five to 10 years. I know this, I love this place, I love all parts of it. But here's a truth that I I have to remember, is that God loves Durham and the triangle more than I ever could. And God has plans and purposes for this area. In Revelation 21, God gives a vision of the New Jerusalem, a city that is adorned in beauty and justice and love and peace and glory. It is a city where heaven comes to earth. As Christ Central enters this new season of ministry, we we are thankful for the past five years, but we're dreaming at the same time about the next five. Who are we going to become in this city? And as we become the people God's calling us to be, we pray that God would use us to help this city become more like heaven. This become initiative, it's a vision initiative. The staff, the elders, the Women's Leadership Council, the deacons have been in prayer and discussion around this for over a year. Uh, Talking about and praying about where are we going, what are we going to be about. Over the next five weeks, uh, today and then five more, uh, we're going to preach through our newly worded values as a church. The values that guide how we behave, the values that shape the culture of our church, the values that will guide how and who we become. Throughout it, we will begin to unpack the details uh, of the Become initiative, our hopes and dreams and plans. Now, there are two things that uh, week one of the Become initiative of the six weeks that are going to be asked of you during this thing. The first is financial generosity. Uh, Become does have a financial goal. Uh, We need money to do the things we're hoping to do. And the financial goal is $5 million over two years. $5 million over a two-year period. That's a lot of money. And it's quite humbling to think about our church beginning in five and a half years ago with a small budget to now praying towards this end. Now, $5 million includes two years of our ministry budget, two years of our operational budget. Our current annual budget is $1.48 million. So we're looking to raise two years of our ministry budget, that's $3 million, plus an additional $2 million that would go toward new goals and new plans that you're going to hear about over the next five, six weeks. Now I know, I can I sense it, anytime someone brings up money, we all get on edge. We start feeling a little bit awkward, and especially when the church brings up money all kinds of emotions start stirring within us because some of you have been in churches that have abused money some of you have been in churches that have done campaigns and the and the money was spent on other things than that which was communicated or you just got tired of the campaign some of you have seen pastors and staff manipulate and use money for personal gain now we rarely if you are a guest we rarely preach on money here at Christ Central and i've been convicted of that pastorally because I think every person in here, myself included, we can follow our money, our money spending, our money saving, our money giving, and it reveals our heart. It reveals our hearts. And as your pastor, as your church, the thing we care about the most is your heart and your heart's transformation. It has been my prayer and I pray it always will be my prayer that as, a, as a, one of your pastors and we as a church Christ central are never about money, but always and in an every way about your spiritual transformation. That we want to pastor and care for your heart. And in light of our aim being spiritual transformation, the second thing, and honestly, the most important thing that you're gonna be asked to consider during this Become initiative is 100% participation. participation. We're asking every single person that's here on Sunday mornings to be all in. Every single person to participate and become. That, That means our young toddlers, to our youth group, youth age, to college students, to grad students, to young professionals, to family with youth age, to retirees, people with little resources, to people with much. 100% 100% participation because we want 100% of you being transformed. Now this morning, we're not going to ask for any money commitment. So if you started to feel any pressure when I start talking about money, you can be relieved. I do want to ask you something though this morning. Will you commit to commit? Will you make a commitment to commit? Will you begin to pray and to consider What being financially generous and being all in on the vision of our church looks like for you. Now, a question you might be asking right now is All right, Pastor, that's good for me, but how about you? Pastor, are you in? And I can say with a full heart, I am all in with become and where our church is going. I love this church. And I'm pretty sure that I can say that all of our staff and elders and Women's Leadership Council and deacons are all in. I am in financially. The Mason family has had time to pray and consider what financial generosity might look like for become. We've had much longer than you've had as you're hearing about many of you for the first time this morning. Rachel and I got married in 2012. In the past seven years, we sold a house in Southwest Durham moved to downtown Durham. We had, have had two children and a third child coming soon. We have been a part of starting this church. Each year minute, uh, expenses have increased for us, but we have always been committed to giving at a minimum of 10% and have always sought to give above and beyond that. Well, in 2017, we, Rachel and I, went on a, a weekend conference called Journey of Generosity. And during that time, Rachel and I felt compelled to grow in our spiritual practice of giving and generosity. We felt like God was calling us to, uh, to stretch, to give more. Specifically, we wanted to have money set aside each month where we could give spontaneously and extravagantly besides, uh, besides what we are com- were committed to. So we decided at that time to cut down our monthly expenses. Now uh, Our taxes on our homes, by the time we had bought it to where we were at that point, had quadrupled because of what was happening in downtown. So we thought one of the ways we could decrease our expenses and increase our giving was to sell our home and to buy another. Uh, but as many of you know, uh, the housing market only continued to increase. We did sell and we, we did move, but the, uh, the market continued to increase and our family expenses have continued to increase as our family has grown. So for us to give to become, what we're gonna have to do is tighten up our monthly budget expenses. For the Masons, it means less eating out as a family, more creative ways to do date nights that cost less money, less vacationing, less travel, and honestly, less saving. But we are committed to be financially generous, primarily so that God can transform our hearts as we give. Now, giving money, for some of us, it's the hardest thing. For some of us, it's the easiest thing to do. You just cut a check or go online and click a button and you're done. So the real call with become is am I all in with my life, my time, my talents, and my treasure? Do I see my whole life as committed to God's mission? When I graduated from Auburn University in 2000, I went to East Asia with a team of seven people who had also just graduated from Auburn and we were doing mission work on a university campus uh, in a city of 30 million people. During the month of January, we needed a much-needed break from being uh, in our country. And so the whole team went to Thailand, and we decided together to learn how to scuba dive. And so we got certified to scuba dive by spending a few hours in a pool. (laughs) And then we were off on a boat out in the middle of an ocean. And the instructor tried to paint to us this beautiful picture of The world beneath the surface of the waters, the colors of the reef, the the variety of the fish, the life that existed, he told us it was a sight to behold. And I've got to to tell you that learning to scuba dive in a 10-foot pool is very different than trusting an instructor with a tank of oxygen on the back and jumping in 60 feet deep. So there were nerves and fears, and there were some questions and excitement all mixed together, but I will tell you, I was so glad I jumped in and that I didn't sit in the boat, that I fell in love with the world beneath the surface. it was beautiful. And the invitation that Jesus gives all of us as Christians is to come and follow him. And that we get to be part of a kingdom that is on the move. We get to be a part of something so much bigger and grander than we could ever imagine. And all of us have the option to play it safe and sit in the boat of comfort safety, self-indulgence, selfishness, and never risk, but we will miss out on the wonder of God transforming earth into heaven. We will miss out on the great adventure of seeing God build his beautiful kingdom. So I'm in, and I pray as you consider, you'll be in as well. And so I wanna read Philippians 1, 1 to 6. As our passage uh, is this morning, we'll spend a short time in it. I'm gonna ask you to stand as we give attention that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Isaiah tells us the grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. Let's pray. Lord God, I'm thankful that you're faithful and that the God who created all things is recreating even now that you spoke in the beginning and you speak now through your word. So recreate God, give us faith, give us eyes to behold the kingdom that, is coming to earth as it is in heaven. Lord God, give us bigger vision than we could ever imagine. Captivate us, Jesus. We pray by your grace and by your love and by your mercy that we might be transformed and we might participate with you in what you're doing in this world. I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing to you. Would you speak to us, Jesus? Would you and you alone be exalted in this time? In your name we pray, amen. You have a seat. Well, I was uh, talking to somebody in our church the other day who uh, loves to run half marathons. They had recently just run a half marathon, and I I jokingly, we joked back and forth, I jokingly said, well, did you finish? And they responded quickly with a little jab back at me. Oh, I don't start a race I don't finish. And I laughed, and then I thought, that sounds a lot like Philippians 1.6. This verse that I've been meditating on for over a year now, but instead of I don't start something, I don't finish. The truth of Philippians 1 verse 6 is that God doesn't start something that he does not finish. That God finishes what he begins. So we're going to have two quick points this morning. God starts and God finishes. God starts. Verse 6, he who began a good work in you. Paul the apostle writing to the church in Philippi says, he who began. Not you who began, but he who began. One of the things I love about Durham is that it's a city full of innovation, creativity, people with new ideas, new concepts, new business ventures. But here's the thing about the gospel of Christianity. It's that no one is innovative and creative enough to come up with it. Even Jesus And with his disciples who followed him for three years, the disciples did not believe what he taught them. They never envisioned that the way that the world would be redeemed would be through a cross. If you're a Christian here this morning, it is not because of any of your doing. It's because the God who's the creator God recreated in you a new heart to believe and to trust in a Savior who lived, died, and rose from the dead. Our God starts. He who began a good work in you did so by gifting you faith by his grace. The spirit of God is the one who breathes new life into us and is the only God that can lead anyone to trust and believe that true life and a kingdom comes through Jesus. If you're here this morning and you're questioning faith, you're skeptical about Christianity, you're searching the claims of Christ. I want you to be encouraged this morning because your questioning and your searching is evidence that the God who created all things is at work in your life. He's beginning to work and create within you. His creation of a desire, his creation of his questioning, that's Him at work in you. Now, God not only starts His work in each one of us, He's the one who started His church. If you would have asked a penniless carpenter 2,000 years ago, what would you start that will launch more hospitals, more research universities, more relief organizations that will inspire more art than any other movement, something that will exist on every continent and every culture with millions of followers, what will you start? You, I would never have guessed or come up with the church. But Jesus told Peter, Upon you, I will build my church." Jesus instituted the world-changing project called the church. Paul is writing this letter to the church in Philippi. And if we were to flip over and read Acts chapter 16, we would see that in Acts chapter 16, Lydia, a wealthy high status woman who was a seller of purple cloth becomes a Christian. We also would see that a Philippian jailer and his family who were middle to lower socioeconomic status would become Christians. We would also see that a slave girl who would have been lower socioeconomic status becomes a Christian. And we would also see that in Philippi, Jew and Gentile worship together. So Jesus who said he would build his church starts his church in Philippi with this multi-ethnic, multi-class, all-inclusive community of love. God starts his church and he is the one who makes his church, the great unifier of all people to so the church is God's project where all people are welcomed to hear about the value of being created in the image of God, to hear that the offer of forgiveness of sins through Jesus' death on a cross to hear the promise of resurrection through Jesus' own resurrection power, to hear the promise of a triumphant kingdom that will never perish. No one would have ever thought that this small movement called the church would change the world, but it has. Because God is the one who is at work in and through it. God starts and God finishes. Look at verse 6 again. He who began a good work in you will complete it. Our confidence in this life is not in our ability, our adequacy, but is in God's faithfulness. He is the alpha and the omega. He's the first and the last. He's the author and the perfecter. He is the beginning and the end. And our God will never quit on you. He will never quit on you. He will finish what he has begun in you. This morning, you might be wondering, will God ever deliver me from the same besetting sin that has plagued me for years? You might be wondering if God is ever gonna bring healing to the the brokenness in your own family. You might be doubting that God could ever heal your marriage that has felt on the brinks of, of divorce for years. You might be here this morning and you feel discouraged, disheartened, lonely, afraid, and you're questioning. And so you need to hear this promise, as do I. That God who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. He is at work in you and one day, someday he will finish what he started. Now God will not only ever quit on us personally, God will never quit on his church. Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Jesus and his kingdom will triumph. Do you notice verses one to two of Philippians chapter one, when Paul writes to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi together with overseers and deacons. He's writing to the church local. It's writing to the church organizational, structural, overseers. It also can be translated as elders, to the elders and to the deacons. Paul is not writing to rogue individual Christians doing their own thing in Philippi. He's writing to the local church. So I want you to hear this. The church is God's plan A to change the world. It is his plan A to change the world. There are a lot of good places to invest our time and our talents and our resources, but the church is the primary instrument that God will use to bring redemption and renewal to the world. If you caught the the phrase Paul used to describe the church in Philippi, partnership, that they were in partnership together. See, once we are in Christ, we are forever connected with one another in a partnership. We are a people marked out, intentional to love one another, focused on a common mission, partnering to see God's kingdom come to earth as it is in heaven. And one of the key markers of the church that's in partnership is a joyful commitment to one another. And Paul is overflowing with deep emotions as he writes this letter. He says, I, I make my prayer with joy. I feel this way about you. I hold you in my heart. So the church is God's instrument of inclusive love with a joyful commitment to one another and a wholehearted commitment to God's mission. My dad served in the military for 25 years. I grew up in a lot of ways on a military base. And if you were to ask my dad or other soldiers, what motivates a person to fight for their country? It is not primarily patriotism or hatred for the enemy or even self-preservation. The main reason soldiers get in the trenches with one another and they're willing to fight is for the love of comrade and because of a common mission. Love of one another and a common mission. We church are called to be in partnership, to love one another deeply and to be about the common mission of our King. Become is a vision initiative. This goal of 5 million over two years, but it's about four things that we want to do that you heard a little bit of, and you're going to hear more in the the weeks coming. We want to be about raising up gospel-centered leadership, lay leaders and future leaders of the church. We want to be about church planting locally and globally, and we want to increase our investment in mercy and justice, and we want to seek to have a permanent home in this city. And we believe that God will finish what he has started in us personally and in this church. I want to close by talking about a man who... Has had a pretty profound impact over me uh, for the past five years from a distance. Brian Stevenson is the founder of the Equal Justice Initiative, the author of the book Just Mercy, soon to be released as a movie, which I'm excited is going to come out. Uh, Michael B. Jordan and Jamie Foxx uh, are starring in it. But in his book Just Mercy, Brian Stevenson describes his awakening in a sense and what led him to spend the past 30 years of his life fighting for justice in the criminal justice system. Uh, Brian is an African-American man who went to Harvard Law School hoping that his education would propel him uh, into a life of escape from poverty and shame that he grew up in. So he goes to Atlanta, Georgia, for a clerking opportunity. They send him to Jackson, Georgia, to a state penitentiary. At this point, Brian doesn't know much about criminal law. He he doesn't know much about what he's walking into. He's just told to go meet with this man named Henry. Henry was a man who had been sentenced to death. was sitting on death row. And while on death row, not a single person, not even family, had visited Henry for two years. So Brian's job was to go and tell Henry that he was not going to be executed. So Brian shows up at the prison. The guards can tell Brian's this young man who's new, and they tell him to go back, but to be careful. And he meets Henry. And for over four hours, they strike up this conversation about family and music and faith, and it's this new friendship that's forged four hours flew by. All of a sudden, the guards burst back in, and they are angry at Brian for spending so much time with Henry. And they yell, what are you still doing here? And they quickly shackle Henry tightly, and Brian shouts, loosen those. The guards yell at Brian, shut up, don't tell us how to do our job. And then they prod Henry in the back with a police stick to get him to walk out of the room. And Henry gets to the end of the visitation room and he stops and he puts his hands on the wall and he arches his back and he leans his head back and he looks at Brian. And Brian said, he would never have anticipated what happened next. That Henry burst out with the richest baritone voice, an old spiritual, pressing on the upward way New heights I'm going every day still I'm praying as I'm onward bound Lord plant my feet on higher ground. And Henry then continued to sing the rest of the spiritual as he walked down the hallway. And from that point on Brian said his life would never be the same. He said he saw that it was not the way it was supposed to be and that he would be all in for the rest of his life for those who've been failed by the criminal justice system. It was a great story of someone who's awakened and then focused on a mission. My prayer is that God would awaken all of our hearts for his renewal in all places so that we cry out for one another, for our city and for the world. This is not the way it's supposed to be. And then we live on mission together, trusting that the God who's begun a good work will complete it. God cares about each and every one of you deeply. And he cares about this church deeply. I believe, that God brought all of you here to Christ Central. He's sovereign. He knows what he's doing. He's brought you here for this moment to experience his love and grace and to be transformed day by day personally. He's also brought you here to be part of a spiritual movement, a partnership that's so grand and so beautiful. So may the faithful God give us trust to look to him so that he might enable us to become a church in this city for the city living for his glory alone. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would do what only you can do. God, you can breathe life into dry bones. You can work in the most difficult of circumstances. You can plant churches and you can take away churches because you're the one who builds and establishes. And so God, we look to you dependent. We look to you for our own lives to be changed, and we look to you to allow our church to become what you want us to be in this city. We want to be faithful in all things to you, God. But thank you that even when we are not faithful, you remain faithful. You are committed to us, and you are committed to the church being triumphant in this world. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.